From the steam-powered automobiles in the 18th century to today, the car has come a long way, and now it has a firm place in our daily lives. Today, its role is not limited to a means of transportation, rather, it is part of our extended identity. But what technological advancements have made the car what it is today, and what does the road ahead hold? The automobile is at a convergence of all the latest technologies as vehicles continue to evolve as a smarter, more connected product. The development and creation of these automotive systems is a challenging one, driven by both technology and societal expectations. Join us for Paving the Way to the Car of the Future, a six-episode podcast together with Texas Instruments, a leader in design and manufacturing of semiconductors, as we take a look under the car's hood. The automobile is at a convergence of all the latest technologies as vehicles continue to evolve into smarter, connected systems. To do this, they must integrate the latest in high-voltage analog and embedded electronic technologies, especially when it comes to power. Developing and creating these advanced automotive systems is a challenging task driven by both technology and social expectations. Let's talk about these challenges and some of the latest solutions from TI that address them. We're talking today with Kanan Soundarapandian, and uh, I'm glad to have you on the show, Kanan. Welcome. Hey, Alex. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, the pleasure is mine. This is the fourth of these podcasts, and we've really had a great time. At least I have moderate. I mean, I'm a lucky person to be able to talk to all of you very interesting people with all of your interesting viewpoints. And today, why don't you tell us by starting with your title and what you're doing in this ecosystem? Okay. Thank you. First of all, thanks for the opportunity, and I'm glad to be here, and I love talking about this stuff. So uh, my name is Kanan Sandrapandian, as you just said. Uh, I'm a vice president and general manager um, with responsibility for one of, uh, you know, one of the growing business units in TI. Uh, so I have responsibility for a portfolio of products that is, you should think of it as anything from about uh, 100 volts and higher all the way up to multiple kilovolts um, of, uh, you know, of semiconductor chips that come out of TI. So um, I've, I've been running this business for a few years now, and uh, I've got to tell you that this is really exciting stuff. So looking forward to the rest of the conversation. I, I can't agree with you more, Kanan. Anybody who's um, a longtime listener knows that I'm a very big power guy from way back. And I mean, no electronics without electricity, right? I mean, if, if you can't move the electrons around, nothing happens. Exactly. So, you know, let's let's rotate that perspective to the automotive market then because that's directly part of the issue right you you can have the smartest car in the world but if it doesn't go as far as you want and it doesn't charge as fast and all of those other things it's the details that make or break a product right yeah no you, you are 100 percent correct i mean i um, at this point with the, the capabilities that we're building into automotive, uh, you know, into the into different automobiles across the world, different portfolios, etc. Um, we cannot forget that the core deliverables that a car has, which is very simply put, you know, a reliable amount of range every time you get into it, and the ability for you to actually replenish that energy that is stored in the car to get that range back. These are some of the very very important things that we're looking at. Um, 
that, that you cannot negotiate. And I think uh, in the automotive space right now, the market is beginning to realize that those are not necessarily what you would consider commodity deliverables. They actually are an opportunity for every um, you know provider to actually differentiate on, for example. So there's a lot of excitement and a lot of heat in this market as we speak. And squeezing out that that very last bit, that very last millijoule of energy and delivering it, you know, to the surface of the tire and the road, you know, where that joins rather than having it burn up somewhere in the middle of that delivery process is the name of the game. And it's, it's, uh, it's complex, it's exciting, but in the end, it is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very uh, gratifying, if you will. I, again, preaching to the choir, my friend. So the way, the way I see it, and please uh, enlighten us and correct me if uh, necessary, the way I see it, and the way a lot of people see it, you know, I'm, I'm not the one uh, leading that aspect of the conversation, I'm more noting it, is it seems to be almost a tripod, right? We've got to think about driving range and then the related aspect of charging times because as ranges get longer and people stop worrying about range, they start worrying about charging times. And then we've got the issue of making these vehicles more affordable. So we've got range, charging, and cost, which is kind of a deadly you know, tripod in that sense, because in some cases, those are competing goals. You're 100% correct. I mean, in many cases, those are uh, competing goals, yes. Uh, the good thing, and this is what I sort of like about this, in life, there are very, very few win-wins, if you will, right? But when it comes to power electronics, actually, that tripod is served uh, I mean, Power electronics as a whole actually serves that tripod in its entirety, if you will. And I will expand on that a little bit. If you, if you think about it, one of the, and I mean, we'll talk about this also a little bit further out, I think, uh, in more detail. But one of the things is we continue to move that, uh, you know, the, the operating voltage, if you will, in a car higher and higher and higher. Today, a large portion of the market is at about 400 volts. We are continuing to move that to 800 volts. And if you think about the reasons why, Let's start with the most difficult one, right? It's cost. It has to be made more affordable before you have mass adoption and all the benefits that come from it. Uh, at any given time, this may sound a little uh, counterintuitive because if you go from a 400-volt battery to an 800-volt battery, for example, you'll actually see that even though in some cases, initially at least, the electronic, the cost of the electronics may be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, it's, it's a little bit... Uh, more difficult to get to those ranges. The engineering problems that you have to solve at an 800-volt rail are significantly higher than you will at a 400-volt rail. But the reality is all of us are subject to uh, you know, some of the most basic laws in electronics, I square R, if you will. So the minute you actually up the voltage rail, what ends up happening is that lossy component, anytime current flows in a conductor, it loses uh, energy to an I square R kind of law. You actually drop that I component, which is a square, which is a square component, if you will, right? And that immediately um, you know, drops the amount of dissipation that you actually have in the process of delivering power from a source into the load. Now, this has multiple different consequences. One is, yes, you can build significantly more efficient systems, but more importantly than that, you can actually deliver the same amount of power into a load with a significantly lower copper weight and cost. And if you think about the fact that if you reduce 
for the same capability vehicle, the amount of weight it has to carry, think about the efficiency boost you get from that, and then more importantly, just the cost you will save from going to a system that has much thinner wires, if you will, is significant. And that, I mean, I've seen ranges anywhere from 20 to 30% on that one, on the, on the total cost of building the car itself. So um, if, if that, that is how, for example, power technologies and moving that rail can actually impact uh, from a cost standpoint. We also talked about the fact that, you know, you have the performance and the charging speed, you know, aspects of it also. And the charging speed is also impacted by a high voltage rail because, Quite simply put, you can deliver more energy into a battery in a car faster at a higher voltage battery rail. So that's what I mean. So yes, it depends on how you look at this cost. It has to be made more affordable. And power electronics is bang in the middle of that too. It's a cost versus experience for the customer versus just general goodness of the EV itself. Well, you know, it really is a gestalt isn't it? it every part is related to every other part power management is yes. thermal management weight is money weight is range it's it, everything leverages everything else isn't it i mean but then again that's why they call it design yeah it, it's making the right choices to have the optimum system right Yep, it's finding that sweet spot and then doing it over and over and over again and then finding out where that sweet spot moved for the next generation and then go finding it. So, yeah, you're right. That's what makes it exciting. <laughs> Which takes us directly into the question about the core technologies to achieve these goals. Because we all want to be faster, quicker, more precise, more efficient, lighter, smaller. How? I mean, it's easy to say wide band gap, AI algorithms for power management will make the batteries denser. You, you still have to put these technologies together. You still have to commercialize them. You still have to package them and productize them, right? Yes, exactly. A lot of what you're talking about depend on the fact that it's not just the upper level stuff. Like you said, a better algorithm, for example, continues to make us get better from, a, from delivering a better and better experience to the user, right? It's not just that. If the fundamental building blocks that create these systems also don't improve generation after generation after generation, beyond the point, those upper level aspects of how you do power delivery into a load um, will start losing steam. It has to keep track, is the point. And that is, I think, why um, these investments that are being made across the world in high-voltage power conversion, whether it's a case of getting better switches or it's a case of just generating better architectures that squeeze out, like we said, that, that last millijoule of performance out of a battery, of, of charge out of a battery and delivers it to the correct place, are so important. Um, and that's why you'll start hearing things like what you mentioned, right? I mean, third gen semiconductors, for example. What that is, is it, it is a, it's a switch from how uh, we've been doing uh, power switches to this point, right? I mean, silicon was the fundamental, it was the basis of all things electronics for the longest time, and it continues to be so. That's not going to change. But we do have a better generation of switches that use better materials coming online that actually helps. Very, very basically put, uh, a switch is only as good as how little energy you can use to turn it on or off reliably. That's the point. And third-gen semiconductors are significantly better 
in that metric than um, older generation technologies based completely on silicon, for example. So these are important. Then there's other things. It's not enough, I would say, if you only have a very good switch. It also matters how you talk to it. Like, for example, you have a very sophisticated microcontroller running a sophisticated algorithm on top of that. But if you don't have the, the correct level translation technology, like a good isolator or a good isolation technology in the middle of that, you cannot build a robust or reliable system. And given the fact that it's, it, it goes back to what you've been saying, which is there's an ecosystem of things here that need to continue to get better generation after generation. It's not just the power switches. It's not just the isolation technology, for example. It's not just the sensor technology, but all of them. All of them have to continue to get better. And that is why um, investing to get to a better and better, better, you know, a better and better way to do this, that power conversion to deliver energy into the load, um, investments across these areas are important. Any one will not do. Well, everything's important, but some things are more important or kind of, you know, when you start talking about high voltages, isolation comes to mind, right? Because the higher the voltage, the more chance you have of leakage, right? You are correct. I mean, at, at higher and higher voltages, uh, <laughs> let's just say that a system will find the weaker link or the weakest link that much faster, right? That's that's the reality. If you're thinking about what we end up doing here, um, we are putting thousands of volts across a chip that's a few millimeters wide, if you will. And if you think about the physics of that, if you think about some of the fields that are generated within that chip in the megavolts per millimeter, it's it's the amount of engineering that has to go into something that is as functionally simple as an isolator is just insane. It takes millions of dollars and many years to actually get a product that I would put a human being on the other side of, if that makes sense. So yeah, some things are more important than having fundamental foundational blocks that are able to not only tolerate all the abuse we throw at it in these very high voltage systems, but also last a very long time doing it is key. Both those things are very important. So yeah, some things are more important than the others, like you said, and in, <laughs> as in pretty much anything else in life, you have to triage, you have to figure out the, the places that are key, that deserve the most investment, and then go off and invest in that but also make sure that you keep a very close eye on the ecosystem as a whole so that something else doesn't become a bottleneck, if you know what I mean. So, for example, if you have the best power switches in the world and the best isolation technology, but you don't necessarily have a good enough capability to sense all that stuff, then how do you know? In a system, you absolutely need to be able to measure something to be able to get the best out of it. So you can't let that fall by the wayside, if you will, right? So it's, uh, th these are the choices that we make on a daily basis over here. And uh, like I said, it's fun. Well, it's such an interesting challenge when you think about it, right? Because people want the last generation of technology just better, right? So it's not just that EVs have to present a new paradigm they also have to compete with fossil fuel vehicles in the expected ways you have to take the energy you'll be able to be able to recharge quickly or fill the tank quickly as it were the rain you know people have an expectation if they hadn't discovered cheap oil in texas in the 1800s electric vehicles had migrated to modern times we may not have to even worry about 
this because we'd have had a couple of hundred years of development on engine, you know, vehicle and battery technologies. But we're still in an evolving technological time, but we still have to address these fundamental questions from society about why can't I charge quick? Why can't I fill up like a tank? Why can't I go as far as my gasoline car goes? And, and those are valid questions, right? I mean, the idea is to actually go off and make sure that we find the answers. The, the question as to why you can't already do it, like why can you not have a, a five-minute charge like you do today where you deliver a certain quantity of liquid fuel into your car in about five to ten minutes and you're good to go, right? Why can we not have that same um, level of performance in what is effectively a more modern or newer technology? Well, there's physics in the way, and that's what we're all working very hard to solve right now. We talked briefly about the fact that voltage rails are moving from 400 volts to 800 volts. Now, that's, I think, the, uh, the best way to actually talk about charging times, if you will, right? Again, it goes back to something as fundamental as I square R. That's a very, very, it's, it's one of the, the, the simplest, most elegant equations available, I mean, that are present in electronics, but it is also key to this particular argument. If you think about it, um, the fact is being able to get more energy into a battery in a car means increasing effectively how much charge gets delivered into that battery in what amount of time. Now, if you think about the fact that at 400 volts, you need a certain current and you try to keep increasing that current to basically get more and more energy in a shorter amount of time, right? But beyond the point, you can only build copper cables to a certain size beyond a point you get diminishing returns um, at, at some point it's you tap out because of multiple different elements in the system how much current you can actually deliver to do that charge safely so this is why we're actually driving to higher voltages we already talked about the fact that if you go from a 400 to an 800 volt battery the current itself that it's how much power you're actually delivering the current halves right and the losses actually don't just have, they go on significantly more than that because there's an, there's an I-squared term here. And because of that, we should be able to go off, and we do. We are able to deliver more energy per unit time, if you will, into the battery. And so we continue to that march on shortening the time frame um, to charge a battery up to its full capacity. Now, it's not just the voltage rail. That's just the most obvious one you can talk about. But there are other things. I mentioned that you have to be able to deliver that energy into a car safely. I mean, if you look at uh, internal combustion engines and fossil fuel vehicles, we've had decades to perfect what a tank should look like, how exactly you protect the entire car, because you do actually have a vast amount of potential energy sitting in the car as you drive it around. But we've gotten many decades in of figuring out how to do that safely enough. We have to do that same thing for batteries. Lithium-ion, it does, you, you can actually soak up a lot of energy into those battery stacks, but we have also have to figure out in the process of delivering that amount of energy in there, how do you do it safely, reliably, robustly, and then more importantly, do that over the 20 years of whatever the car actually exists and you're driving it around, right? So these are all the challenges that we're trying to solve at the same time. It's just like you said, it's never just one challenge that pops up and says, if you solve this, you're done. It isn't. It's all of these things together. You not only have to figure out how to deliver that quantity of energy into a car, but you also have to deliver how to do it safely, how to do it reliably, and then how to do it many, many times over. So these are the things that we work on trying to solve. Well, you know, Kanan, <laughs> you hit the nail directly on the head, the levels of all of the complexity. 
But then again, there are drivers, right? There's competition within the industry. Things like motorsport, right? They're working constantly on things like working with the generative braking and the traction controls, getting those, you know, coulombs back, as it were. What what do you think about those efforts, the, the competitive efforts that are driving the tech forward? Again, you're 100% correct. The, I Basically, there's, a, there's, a, there's so many stories in this industry that will capture your imagination, right? For example, some of the first cars that actually were forced, in a sense, to go to that 800 volts. And the reason I say forced is, We've been talking about all the good things that 800 volt systems will deliver, but I mentioned briefly that there are many challenges when you actually have a system running at that high voltage because those <laughs> battery stacks with that amount of voltage across them are aggressive things. They want to kill everything in sight. And half the, half the effort, or I'd say 90% of the effort that we put in is to make absolutely sure that you, yeah, you contain, you control, you make that reliable, and then you put it to good use, right? This is very, very key. So that's the reason I say uh, the industry, in some cases, in some of the first 800-volt systems were actually developed for race cars. You are correct. It wasn't delivered, it wasn't developed because somebody wanted to make it cheaper or anything like that. It was performance-based reasons that actually did that. If you think about the Le Mans race, there is one uh, stretch of it called the Mulsanne Strait. When cars, EV, EVs, basically electric cars, went down that, at hundreds of kilometers per hour or whatever the, 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 their top speed is. And when they pumped on the brakes, the energy that came out in a regenerative sense, right? Because those cars depend on the fact that not only does the battery deliver energy to the motor to run the traction system, but when you brake, that energy is also reclaimed. That's what we call regenerative braking. And when that happened down that straight for a car of that mass with that speed, a 400 volt battery and the amount of copper you can build into that system to deliver that energy back into the battery was insufficient. So part of the reason we went to 800 volts was performance-based reasons. We actually hit an actual physical limit on 400 volt systems. So you are 100% correct. Now, not everybody's going to be driving cars at those insane speeds. and They don't need that. But you're 100% correct. We can actually build systems that are better and more efficient, not simply because we just burn less energy going from the source to the load, but also you create the infrastructure that allows regenerative and other you know, measures like that, being able to pump energy from the wheels when you need to stop the car back into the battery. So, yeah, there's absolutely other advantages to building at higher voltage, uh, you know, at higher voltages on your traction systems. And you hit the nail on that one. That, that uh, generator braking, for example, is one of the key drivers for the earliest stationable systems, actually, in the automotive uh, space. That's really interesting, Kanan. So, then it brings us all the way around to the final, in some ways, most critical issue, and that's cost. Right. I mean, how do you justify the cost? How do you reduce the cost? How do you address the cost? I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for an exercise for you to explain to the audience because as the subject matter expert. Yeah, we, we've, we've touched on that already. And I'll expand on that a little bit. We already talked about the fact that cost is key. Um, we have large ambitions for what electric vehicles as a whole can not only do for 
um, you know, the environment as a whole and sustainable and responsible use of energy. These things are absolutely important to the world we live in and as we go forward. We have to be better stewards of how we generate energy and how we use it and do that in as advantaged a manner as possible. So those good things are all very, very well known. Um, but the reality is you cannot scale those things to the level that you have to if you don't make vehicles as a whole and traction systems like this affordable enough for, uh, for the world as a whole so more people can start using it. That's when you actually see better and better bang for the buck. That's where that positive feedback cycle actually works in your favor. So cost is absolutely key to your point. In the end, we are competing with technologies in fossil fuel vehicles that have been around for decades, for a very, very long time. They figured out Mature. what it is of scale. They've got ability, you know, the uh, uh, energy distribution points, just your average fuel station. All of that is installed and available infrastructure today. So when something like an up, you know, an upstart, like an electric vehicle type of, uh, um, you know, of, a, of a new technology starts competing against an incumbent technology that's already seen the benefits of scale, those problems are magnified significantly. So you're 100% right. Part of this is going to come from us figuring out from an engineering standpoint how to squeeze all the costs you possibly can out of an EV while still maintaining its performance uh, capabilities as well as its reliability and safety, right? That is multiple challenges. We talked about the fact that going from 400 volts to 800 volts, for example, does help in that, in that case. It increases the costs in certain places, but it also has a vast decrease in other places, in weight Table and weight. cost, for example. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at any modern car today, I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but if you put end-to-end -end all the wires that you've actually got in it, we're talking in terms of miles or something. It's a, it's a, it's a massive amount of copper that goes into every car today. And anything you can, you can do to reduce that reduces not only the cost of the copper itself, but also the weight of the vehicle as a whole, which increases range and all those other good things that actually start showing up. Right? So fundamentally, from a power electronics standpoint, I think the biggest knob you have to turn on that one is actually to go to higher voltages and fundamentally deal with the engineering challenges that come because of the higher voltages. But you reap the benefits on the other side if you solve it. Right? So that is actually very, very important. Um, outside of that, cost as a whole is something that we have to look at in terms of it's not just this one thing that I said, but basically across the board. And that's something that we do all the time. This could mean things like better and, and cheaper ways to do. Um, we didn't talk about this too much, but sensing technologies. So there's got to be some element on your electronics or your power electronics board that sits and is able to monitor, if you will, how much current is being used by the traction inverter, what the volt, what the, you know, the, the DC link rail itself is doing, for example, is everything healthy? So it's not just a question of the metrology needed to run the system at its most optimal, highest efficiency and performance point. It's also a question of making sure that everybody's behaving themselves, if you will. You've got an 800 volt battery. We already mentioned that's an aggressive thing. It wants to, you know, it wants to do some damage. And being able to measure, measure, measure in redundant, in a redundant manner, so as to keep the entire vehicle itself as safe as can be. Is, is necessary. So investments there, for example, where you originally maybe have a, a, a much more expensive infrastructure to do these measurements now become a whole lot more simple when you squeeze all that down into a semiconductor chip, for example. So 
again, that theme that you set at the beginning of this applies even here. It's not just any one or two places you can go attack for cost. It, it is this ecosystem. We have to figure out and triage which are the most important to start with, go invest over there, and then start getting some serious gains in terms of affordability also. So that is one of the other most, I mean, when you throw affordability into an engineering problem as one of the key legs of the tripod, things get hairy very quickly. But hey, like I said, that's what makes this thing exciting. And we're making progress over there, right? As you can tell, I mean, costs of building these electric systems are getting lower and lower and lower. And I don't see that ramp down ending anytime soon. We just have to continue down that path. Couldn't agree more, Kanan. Now, given all of these issues and questions and uh, the fact that TI is active in the space, can you give me some examples of some of the products that you have that address some of these issues directly? Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, I think we've touched upon a lot of this. There's a couple of items that we haven't explicitly discussed, but I'd basically put, uh, uh, you know, things like, for example, we've been investing in one third generation wide band gap technology, again, gallium nitride transistors that effectively we talked about the fact that a switch is only as good as how little energy you need to turn it on and off, that those Devices today are the king of that particular hill, if you will. But it's not just that. We have devices like isolators. We talked about what those are. Functionally very simple. They just transfer digital signals from one side of the of the you know of the chip to the other. And there's a lot of magic that goes in the middle. But these are very necessary to you know allow something that runs at you know a volt in some cases, volt and a half in some cases, a microcontroller to talk to some system that's actually you know, switching giant amounts of energy, running at 800 volts, for example. That's important. And there are gate drivers. This allows control signals that come out of whatever sophisticated algorithm you have running on a microcontroller to be translated directly into the power block itself that switches on and off uh, power from the battery to create things like traction inverters or on the other side of it, you know, onboard charges, DC-DC systems, things like that. The one thing that we didn't necessarily talk about, because we also talked about sensing systems that go around that, which are important, but then there's also the microcontroller itself. And this is another place where we have to actually invest very heavily, because these are not necessarily micros that are running at the, at the smallest digital nodes right now, the five and the three. It's not exactly like that, but there are needs in, an, in the automotive space to have reliable, redundant microcontrollers and, and uh, microprocessors that not only do um, all the heavy lifting in terms of figuring out the algorithms to run the power conversion, but also other things like uh, just looking at the system as a whole, understanding diagnostics, making sure that everything is reliable, making sure that everybody's behaving themselves. This is another part of uh, you know, the investment that has to happen. So to summarize, we talked about the FETs that actually deliver the power. We talked about the gate drivers that allow things to talk to the FETs. We talked about isolators that allow different energy domains in the car to be safely separated from each other so nobody kills each other. And then we talked about microcontrollers and sensors. All of these areas are key. All of these areas are places that we're very heavily investing in right now because these are what are going to drive that tripod you talked about, you know, from a cost, a performance, a range, all of that. So... Yeah, I'd say those are the key enabling technologies. And then there's other things too. There's all the other stuff that you need, the glue in the middle, the amplifiers, the voltage regulators. You know, yeah. Yeah. Physical, physical wiring, you know, the, the, every exactly. little bit. So, there's, there's just so much sand on the beach, if you will, 
So um, yes, so but those those important things that I talked about are the are the um, alpha needs, if you will, to deliver um, you know improvements in a power conversion system going into the future. But then again, I guess that's why we're seeing so many collaborations nowadays. You know, people sharing IP, um, sharing solutions, processes, methodologies. I would imagine you probably are get doing a lot more of that. Uh, working with um, everything from handholding to high-level IP exchange because it, it is an ecosystem now. You have to exchange information. What are your experiences in, in, in partnering with your customers out there? Yeah, it's, it's very important. I mean, um, for example, I think <laughs> to give you some numbers to personalize this for me, I think I'll be somewhere in the vicinity of about 450,000 miles of just air miles this year, right? And that, and all of that is because um, it's, it's just visiting customers in different regions across the globe in different, uh, you know, in, in different parts of creating that AV system, talking to them, understanding them, listening to them, and then most importantly, looking at their roadmaps figuring out what it is that they want to achieve going into the future, right? In the sense of these are the targets I've got. I don't know how to reach them yet, but I know I need them. These kind of conversations. So sitting at the table with them, understanding what they want and when it's coming, and then coming back and making absolutely sure that our own roadmaps and what we are investing in will be able to match that and match that timeline so it becomes available for them, um, hopefully, at the optimal time. Because God knows I've got many, many more things than we can go on to do than we can go off and do right now. So that process of actually partnering up with the customers and understanding exactly what they want, what are the absolute must-haves versus what are the, what are the nice-to-haves, if you will, right? And then making absolutely sure that we are going to be able to feed that pipeline at exactly the right time when they need it. So, yes, you are correct. I mean, it you cannot create a successful portfolio in this area without having that partnership and understanding um, uh, these elements of what is coming, what is coming in the future. Because typically, whatever needs to happen is usually, it's, it's going to take a few years to get there. So getting ahead of it is important. Then there are other aspects. I mean, we talked about the fact that uh, these systems do have uh, a component of, you know, people are using them. So they have to be safe. They have to be reliable and robust. That means there's also a lot of compliance. Different governments have different kind of compliance and different, um, you know, there's regulatory environments everywhere that we have to take into account as we do these. So, for example, if you look at our isolator portfolio, um, we actually uh, test, honestly, we actually test in a statistical manner, the capability of these devices to be able to tolerate these massive voltages across them for over 40 years, right? Now, you may think that's vast amounts of overkill from where you sit, but and, and perhaps it is. But in the end, that's the kind of diligence we need to bring into these fundamentally new systems to be able to be absolutely confident that the place that we start at is where the fossil fuel kind of cars have ended after multiple, not even ended, what I'm saying is they're already in a state of evolution in terms of safety and reliability that is at the, at the end of multiple decades of investment and evolution. That's our starting point. So if you think about that, it's a responsibility we take extremely seriously, and that's why you have testing on the levels of, that we do right now over here, right? So yeah, it's, uh, as I mentioned, um, 
that IP sharing, understanding exactly what's coming, being able to have these discussions with customers across the world with different regulatory and compliance needs and different governments in different regions, and then making sure that the final, you know, the fundamental experience that anybody transitioning from, a, from an ICE kind of a system to an EV system doesn't experience a loss in reliability and safety is also very, very key. So these are the places that you'll see a, a large amount of investment from us. Again, Kanan, I couldn't agree more. It has been awesome talking about this with you. You have been a very, very, in, yes. oh, please, very engaging. But before I let you go, uh, do you have any final thoughts or ideas or advice or observe anything to leave with our audience? I've talked about the fact that this is something that excites us uh, quite a bit, right? There's, it's, it's beyond just a need or a necessity. It's, um, it's because these are, uh, this is one of the few areas in which you can actually have a win-win in so many different places by solving these technical problems. Um, we've already talked about the fact that we've got to get better about stewarding, if you will, the available energy to us as a, as a species and being able to use that correctly in a manner to be very sustainable so that we, we are responsible stewards of this energy. There's no question about that, and I think that gets talked about a lot. The other piece of it, though, in the sense of with these new technologies, the ability for us to use in almost a, a step function up manner is key for another reason. It's, it's, it's also important if you think about it. Um, you know, every nation's growth, you can tie it back to on almost a first order level to how much energy they will need to fuel that growth. So if you plan to grow as a country or a nation or a region or whatever it is, um, there's a certain amount of energy that you need. Now, <laughs> uh, you can't just build infrastructure to be able to deal with all of that. If you plan for a certain growth, you're not just automatically relegated to going up and building it. A much more important way in which we can do that is to make sure that whatever energy you're already using you squeeze more out of it. And that's, this is a major contributor to that, if you think of it. It's a, it's a huge reclamation, if you will, of the energy available to us to not only be able to use it more responsibly, more sustainably, but also to fuel growth as a whole. So that's what I meant by win-win. These are tough problems to solve. They're expensive problems to solve. And there's many days you want to tear your hair out because they don't get solved, right? But it's worth it because it's not just the sustainability and the responsibility aspect of it. But on the other hand, on, on, the, on the forward part, it's also a question of, if you want to grow, you get this right. So, Well, I'm really glad there are people like you addressing these problems and creating the solutions because your passion is obvious. I'm really glad to have had you on the show. I'm really, really happy. Thanks a lot, Alex. Likewise, it was enjoyable talking. So uh, thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the time. Oh, the pleasure was mine. So thank you very much for taking the time to participate. And I want to thank the audience for taking the time to listen. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.